0: Okay, so we just read, ask and you will receive, right? Um, Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Uh, and as I was preparing for this sermon, this question kept running through my mind, a question that maybe somebody would ask. I don't know why, but the question was, why should I believe in God when he doesn't answer my prayers? Right? Why should I believe in God when he doesn't answer my prayers? my prayers, because Jesus, he makes a really bold statement, right? Ask, seek, knock. You will receive, find, and it will be opened to you, All right, Raise your hand if you have asked Jesus for something in his name, and he hasn't done it, All right? Be honest. Raise your hand if you've ever asked Jesus for something, and he hasn't done it, Right? And I ask you to be honest because this is reality. And it might be difficult to face, but it's really important that we, we look it head on so that we can get to just the, the core truth here. Right, We ask, and sometimes it happens, but sometimes it doesn't. Right, Maybe we would even say a lot of times it doesn't, and perhaps some people might even say it never does. But why should I believe in God if he doesn't answer my prayers what does it say about him that jesus would say these words these hopeful words and yet our experience appears not to line up right we believe the bible we interpret it as truth literal where literal makes sense metaphorical where metaphors are used and as poetry where poetry is employed right and when jesus says this to his disciples he's not being poetic He's not being metaphorical. He's telling it straight. So why? right? If all of us have asked and not received, why are we still here? Right. I think that is a valid question that somebody might ask us. Right? This is a beautiful passage, but it's a hard word. Right? See, folks often think that the hard words are, are when God calls us to counter cultural obedience, whether it's in service, money, or sexuality, whatever it might be. And yeah, the sacrificial call of following Jesus, that is challenging. Right? But at least some of that's concrete and, and measurable. right? We mostly know if we're lazy and unwilling to serve. We know if we're stealing. We know if we're stingy. Right? If we read the Bible, we know when we're outside of God's design for sexuality. But I think this is harder to deal with right? because we don't know what's happening when we ask God for something and we don't get it. And I'm not only talking about this, like, in a trivial way. Like, uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Santa Claus with Tim Allen, there's these two grown-up characters, and they stopped believing in Santa because one Christmas they didn't get, uh, one lady didn't get her mystery date game, and the other guy didn't get his Oscar Mayer weenie whistle, right? And, And Santa doesn't exist because he didn't get me what I want, right? I'm not talking about things like that. I'm talking about when we pray for safety, and we end up with danger or destruction. When we pray for healing and we're left, or our loved ones are left injured and ailed. When we pray for reconciliation and the relationship remains torn to shreds. When we have significant physical need and it goes unmet. I mean, this is life. This is the stuff we can see with our own eyes. It's in front of our own eyes. So what do we do? How do we come to terms with this as believers in God, as his people who believe the words we read today are his truth for us? Ask, seek, knock. And if you thought I had an answer for you, you're wrong. I just I Googled it. I Googled it like everyone else would do. (laughs) and I found a message board on Korah. Right. No, I am half kidding. But I did. I was curious. I I thought, you know what? A lot of people might have this question. This is where they're going to go. Right. They're going to Google this question and see what pops up. And I want to share what what folks said to a particular user who asked this question, the same exact question. Right. There were so many questions about this. But this particular user on this message board, he put out the question, why should I believe in God when he doesn't answer my prayers? Here's some answers I curated for us this morning. One person says you shouldn't. That's the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. It doesn't exist. No, please go help yourself and stop praying to fairies to fix your problem. Here's another one God either has something better for you or it's not the right time yet. Has anyone heard that one before while well, you're going through a really hard time? Does it always help? Not always. Right, try telling it to this next guy. He says, I'm an amputee. I know many amputees that are very religious. Not once has God ever regrown a limb. Now, is that because they do not believe, or they don't believe enough, or are all amputees evil, or, or, or are all amputees, do they need to suffer, or God maybe just simply doesn't exist? These are hard to look at. These are hard to read. But real people have real experiences and real questions. And and, and they're doing their best to interpret them. Right? Somebody says, the idea of some supernatural being listening to your prayer and waiting to fix your problem is BS. Stop praying and start working hard to fix your problem. This is how people are answering this guy. Think about how do answers like this make you feel? Like, what's your inclination? See, oftentimes we want to find quick answers to hard and complicated questions. Right? You can hear that coming from the atheists on this message board. You can hear it coming from the believers. Right? Atheists, ah, just don't bother. That's insanity. Right? Or or the believers, God's got something better for you. Just, Just hang in there. Right? Your loved one died even though you prayed they wouldn't. God needed her more than you did. Or, or God always takes the best. Or God hears all prayers. His answers are just yes, no, or later. And that, that one's not so bad, but even that can come off as reductive or minimizing a question that's very serious. Right? Whether we look at the atheistic answers or the ones given by Christians, they're offering insufficient consolations. So what are we doing when we pray if God doesn't always answer our prayers? And what does it say about him when he doesn't? Right? I want to talk about this today. I want to sit in it today and, and even the discomfort of it. Because I honestly explored this as a person with questions. I, as I prepared to share this with you this week, as I read this passage, this question came through my mind. Right. I wasn't doubting the existence of God, but it, it just was running through my mind that this is a question some people might honestly have. And you may or may not be satisfied with the answer that I have for you this morning, and that's okay. But I can tell you that in this sermon, you're not going to get a one-liner. You're not going to get a pat answer. Those are quick fixes, and they get us in trouble when they don't hold water. right? When we use one-liners or, or quick fixers as support beams for our faith, disappointment is inevitable. Right? And so we're in this series Called journey to the cross jesus is on his way to jerusalem and in this season of lent we're tracking with him on his journey in the book of luke the aim of this sermon series is that we would sync up our hearts with the story of jesus culminating with the glorious day of his resurrection and on our passage today we find jesus praying right you know he'd often withdraw to pray to the father for instance before he chose his 12 disciples he withdrew to pray after long days of healing and interaction, he'd get away by himself to pray. And his unity with God the Father is heavily expressed in his prayer life during his ministry on earth. And people saw that. If you saw Jesus, you, you you knew that he was a praying guy, right? Especially his disciples who were with him, right? Most of the time, they would see this. And so let's get into our passage. Let's see what Jesus has to say about prayer here in Luke 11. So one disciple sees Jesus praying and he makes a request. He says, Lord, this is Luke 11, 1, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And when he says John, he means John the Baptist. And we don't know exactly how John prayed. We don't know how in particular, John, why in particular John was referenced here. Perhaps he prayed in a way that was different from a lot of other Israelites. But that's the thing, the Israelites knew how to pray. They prayed often. They had their liturgical prayers memorized and ready to rattle off. And that's not a bad thing necessarily, right? We in this church, we like pre-written prayers too. Sometimes we can draw from the beauty of believers who have gone before us, right? And, and they'd sometimes even pray the very words of scripture. So you can't go wrong with that. But what is it about Jesus's prayer that, that requires his disciples to be taught how to pray? Right? They don't just want to pray, they want to pray like Jesus, and Jesus prayed as one with the Father. Right? He prayed as someone communing with God the Father. And There was something different about how Jesus prayed. Right? And so his disciples, they want to know how to pray like Jesus, and Jesus tells them Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. Now, many of us know these words. Right? We call it the Lord's Prayer. Right, Many of us know them so well that maybe even the translation I'm reading today threw you off a little bit because you have it running in your head. Or maybe you're used to the longer version in Matthew. Uh, but Jesus obviously talked about this more than once and in more than one setting. I'd guess that this is a pretty popular question for Jesus. And what I love about this prayer is that it, it prepares our hearts for whatever we're going to pray next. It aligns our hearts with God, and it's not something you need to say word for word. We know that because Jesus gives a whole other version of it in Matthew, right? That's not a textual error or a mistake in the record, right? The spirit behind this is what's important. The Lord's prayer is not just a rote formula for us to follow. It's tuning our hearts right before we bring them to God, In the same way you'd tune a guitar before you play, get the strings tightened to where they need to be so that it makes sense, right? We know this isn't all we're supposed to pray either because Jesus goes on even in this passage and he talks about praying about all sorts of things. But this is a formula to align our hearts with God and to set our perspective and our expectations, right? It's to remember that we orbit him, right? Not vice versa. And the first thing Jesus tells us to say is Father. That's the first thing he says in this prayer, Father. He tells the disciples, when you pray, address your prayer to Father. So already Jesus is flipping the script on prayer. Address God as Father. And and to us who maybe have heard this prayer before over and over again, that might not seem like a big thing. But to call God the creator of the universe, to call him Father, that's, that's a really bold statement. And it's not how Israelites typically prayed and addressed God. I mean, they would call Abraham their father, but God? Jesus says, when you pray, call God Father. And this one word is going to color the rest of this passage for us. It colors the rest of this prayer. Father tells us how we should relate to God. We come to God like children. We come to him like his children. It tells us how to relate to him, but it also tells us how he relates to us, right, as father. According to Jesus, when you pray, you're talking to your father. And unlike the Matthew version of this prayer, there's no qualifier like father in heaven or heavenly father. It's just father. It's like dad, right? Can we just sit in wonder of that for a moment? For, For many of us who had struggling human dad seeing god as a father might take some getting used to right it might take some adjustment right sometimes we take with us an image or an experience or a series of impressions from our childhood and we overlay them onto our picture of god right my dad was absent for some of us that was by choice for some of us it might have been out of his control but my dad was absent he was gone So God, this father, is probably going to leave me too. My dad was abusive. What if God hurts me too? My dad lied to us. How can I trust God to do the same? My dad was too busy or distracted for me. If I say, Father, is God even listening? My dad criticized me, made fun of me. I was never good enough. Maybe the father sees me that way too. You might not even know that these scripts are running in your gut when you think about God. It's worth even journaling or reflecting on your relationship with your dad and contrasting that with God your Father. Right? We think we can stuff these things, but they fester and they can control us without even knowing. Just bring it to light before God. Journal about it. Talk to somebody about it. Pray about it. Jesus says, start by calling God Father. And then he says, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, right? May your name be honored as holy, a desire that God would be known for who he truly is and honored as holy, right? And there's lots of places where God's name is not honored as holy in this world, right? We don't live in the kingdom of God. We live in a place where we as believers and churches are trying to be outposts, right, for the kingdom of God. Patches of the world where God's name is honored as holy. When you come here on a Sunday, we are honoring God as holy. Right? What does that mean? It means God is set apart, God is completely other. He's without comparable human category, He's separate. And Jesus says the first thing to pray after calling God Father, this familial, almost casual term, is to remember that He's also holy. Right, and to pray that his holy name would be hallowed on earth. Right, may people know the true God and see him for who he is, because the kingdom has not yet come. And that's why the next line of the prayer, he instructs us to pray, Your kingdom come. Right? We want your kingdom, people, to grow, right? May your name be honored on earth as it is in heaven. Right? But we also want your name, your reign to come, right? Jesus tells us to pray for a revolution, not the kind that we read about in history, but just a complete overhaul of corruption, of injustice, of the brokenness of this world. The absolute end to pain and death, the ushering in of peace and joy. Our hearts are to be set on the kingdom coming, and we're supposed to pray that he would bring it. So if you're a Christian, are you praying for God's kingdom to come? Are you praying for a time when there will be no more wars, disease, death? Right? As part of preparing our hearts in prayer, Jesus wants us to think on these things. He wants our motivations to be guided by these words. Then he says, give us each day our daily bread provide us with sustenance right food in the first century uh, especially in the palestine region wasn't readily uh, as readily accessible as it is for us in the here and now right there were few social services people lived day to day many parts of the world they still do today right but he invites us to pray for sustenance god cares And the prayer closes, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. And we're to be considering our need before God, our need to be forgiven of our sins, but also our need to forgive others because we've been forgiven by God. And I think of this illustration that Jesus gave of a man who was forgiven this massive debt by his creditor. He faced jail time, but because he was forgiven, he was free. And the first thing he does is go out and start choking a man who owed him much less money than he had been forgiven for. Right? That's embedded in this prayer. Let's not be like that guy. Forgive us as we forgive others. How can we ask God to forgive our sins if we refuse to forgive others? How can we say that with integrity to God? That's why it's in here, right? Think about this. Right? Jesus chose these words very carefully. This isn't a long prayer. It's very short. So if it's in there, it's really, really important. lastly, he says, lead us not into temptation. Lead us away from temptation. Help us to avoid situations that threaten to draw us away from you. Right? If we truly want to act like God's children, if we truly want to see his name honored as holy, if we truly want to see the kingdom come, if we want to forgive as we've been forgiven, then we need to pray that God would lead us away from temptation because we don't want to contribute to the brokenness, Right? So that's the prayer, right? Short and sweet, a a prayer to prepare our hearts. We're praying to our Father. We're setting our hearts on his desires. We're aligning ourselves with him, right? And that's just preparation. Is it okay to pray for other things? Yes, right? God invites us into that. But what would it look like if we prayed this prayer before any other prayer? If we allowed this to skew our desires and our thoughts, how might our prayers be affected? What might change about how we pray and what we pray for? What might change about our expectation of what an answered prayer even looks like and what God's obligation is to us? Jesus' lesson on prayer doesn't end here. He continues and shares a story about a really bold neighbor He says, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. What's Jesus saying with this story? Like this friend has an unexpected guest in the middle of the night. And hospitality was huge back then. To, to have a guest and no food was a shameful thing to experience. Even if the guest arrived in the middle of the night, it's not like they could call ahead and tell you they're running late. right? So, so what does this person do? Does he say, oh, well... I don't want to put anybody out. We'll just wait till tomorrow to feed this weary traveler. No, he shamelessly knocks on his neighbor's door. Keep in mind the typical house had one bedroom that was shared by all. So this man has put all his babies to bed already. If you've ever taken care of children, you know that a loud knock on a bedroom door in the middle of the night is grounds for physical violence. Right? No, I'm just kidding. It's not, it's not, rustling. Just a joke. Uh, but seriously, the neighbor responds, hey, my kids are already in bed. Go away. But this, this other neighbor, he boldly persists, knocking on the door. Jesus says it's not on the basis of their friendship that he's going to give them bread. In fact, they might not even be friends after this night. But it's on the basis of his shameless boldness. And asking that he gets up and gives him what he needs. Because of his boldness, this man is willing to wake up, remove what would have been a heavy, noisy metal bar from his door and wake up his kids, right? His night is ruined. It's an invitation to us to boldly come to God with our needs. Like this bold neighbor asking for bread. And here he's not comparing God to to this irritated neighbor. He's contrasting the two. God is father, right? He's not the annoyed neighbor. He's actually comparing us to the one knocking, right? How much more can we boldly come to our Father in heaven when we know we're received in love and when we know he doesn't sleep, right? He's not inconvenienced by us. We can come to him with that same shameless boldness and we're invited to persist. God isn't too busy to hear our prayers. Jesus is telling this disciple and us that we have it like that with God. We can come to him boldly with our requests. And so he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Does anybody here hate asking people for things? When you've got to ask somebody for a favor, especially when it's something that includes like a lot of work for them. Right, why do we hate asking people for things right for for me it's I, I don't like it because they might say no right and if they say no what does that mean about how they feel about me right what does it mean about how I feel about them now right I used to have a really hard time if somebody said no when I genuinely asked them for help like if they said no that just meant they didn't like me right that was it Right. Not only that, but they probably hated me. And it's not that I thought I was entitled. I just thought one's answer was an indicator of how they viewed me. I had this warped sense of my worth and perceptions of others. And so my initial response to a rejection like that would be like, forget you. Right. Fine. I hate you, too. Right. I'd question their motivation for saying no. I'd build a story around it uh, where I was unjustly brushed off. And I'll tell you, this kind of stuff is why we need to explore our father wounds, right? And mother wounds. Like, really, it's not just me, right? We need to do some work. I don't like feeling dependent on someone else's mercy. And there's a reason for that. So what stories are you building around the prayers that God hasn't answered for you? What stories are you building around the unanswered prayers that you have? Is he an annoyed neighbor in the middle of the night? Is he neglectful? Is he vengeful? How does he feel about you? Is he just non-existent? Jesus says, pray boldly. And why can we pray boldly? Because our relationship with God is secure. See, I even wonder sometimes if we add into our prayers if it be your will, God, or or other qualifiers so that we're not too disappointed if he doesn't answer with a yes. If it's your will, Lord, heal her. It's not a bad thing to say. Jesus said if it's your will when he prayed at one point. But I'm looking at this neighbor in his boldness, and he just outright asks for what he needs very vulnerable place to be. right? I've done this before when making a request to someone. It's totally okay if you're not able to, but can you help me with XYZ? Does anybody ask for help like that? Right? What am I doing here? Is that something I'm adding in for the other person, or is that something I'm adding in for me to brace myself for a potential no? Right, So that I can say it'll be okay, because I've preemptively said it's okay to say no. Why not just ask the question? If the person's healthy, they should know that it's okay to decline. Do you couch your prayers to God so that you're not too disappointed when he doesn't answer the way you're asking? But how do we deal with the fact that Jesus does tell us to ask, seek, and knock and tells us that we will receive, find, and the door will be open to us? Right? And there are times when we ask and we don't receive, times when we seek and we don't find, and times when we knock and the door feels bolted shut. So what's going on there? Right? How can we trust these words if we don't see the results we're looking for? First, and I'm not saying this is the full answer to the question, but it does need to be mentioned that the Bible has something to say about hindered prayers. Right? It's worth considering a few things as you pray, and and this does not mean that you have not seen results in your prayer life because you're guilty of these things, right? But it does mean you should examine your life as you pray. Here are some reasons the Bible points out, uh, and I can email these to you later. You don't have to worry about tracking and writing down, going to the passage. Uh, James 4.1.3 says, we don't have because we don't ask. That's pretty simple. If we don't ask God, don't expect to get it from God. And he goes on to say that when we ask, we pray with wrong motives aimed at our own pleasure. So don't expect to receive from God when you're praying in that way. 1 Peter 3.7 says to husbands that their prayers will be hindered when they mistreat their wives and don't view them as equals. I'm sure the same goes for wives too, but he specifically calls out husbands, not seeing their wives as co-heirs in Christ. First John 5, 14 to 15 tells us to pray within God's will. If it's not God's will, it will not be done. Psalm 66, 18, if we cherish sin in our heart, God's ears are closed off. Proverbs 28, 9, if we're in rebellion against God, he detests our prayers. Proverbs twenty one thirteen. whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. John 15, 7 tells us that prayer comes to those who remain in Christ. 1 Peter 5, 6 tells us to be humble. So these are some real roadblocks in our prayer life. Let's take an internal inventory as we pray. Are we coming to God desiring him and desiring his will? But this isn't a full answer, right? Just because you haven't seen results doesn't mean you must be guilty of those things. And there are some people who might try to tell you that. And that brings me to another unhealthy belief that creeps into Christianity, the idea that if your prayers aren't answered, it's because you don't have enough faith or there's something wrong with you. But I listened to a Harvard psychologist named Dr. Susan David share a story like this about her dad. The elders of his church, he was dying. They told him he's going to be healed by God, but he needed to truly believe it. And the best way to do that was to cancel his life insurance because that policy was evidence of his lack of faith, right? If God was going to truly heal him, he didn't need it. So he listened to his spiritual leaders. He canceled his policy and then he died. And his family was left with absolutely nothing. There's a difference between faith and what Jesus called putting the Lord to the test, right? When Satan told him, jump off this building, God will save you. He says, we're not supposed to put the Lord to the test, right? There's a difference between faith and testing God. And don't let anybody burden you with this toxic version of religion, That if something's going wrong with you, there must be something wrong with you. Or or that if God isn't saying yes to your prayers immediately, you've done something wrong. That's not the case. Or that God is mad at you. That's not biblical. That's not Christianity. That's not reality. Here's what's biblical. We're in a shattered world. People get sick. People die. People hurt each other. Life is not safe. An author, Tish Harrison Warren, she's written, you can't trust God to keep you safe. That made me really uncomfortable when I first read it. You can't trust God to keep you safe. She's talking about physical safety. Because here's the thing, he hasn't promised that to you. In fact, Jesus warned his followers, faith would take them to dangerous places. You can't trust God to keep you safe. But you can trust him to keep you. We can't trust God to keep us safe, but we can trust him to keep us. Now, The night before going to the cross, Jesus sweat drops of blood in anxious anticipation of all that was ahead of him. Not only death, but taking on the wrath of God, diverted from us to him. And Jesus himself prayed to the Father, If it's your will, take this cup away from me. And he was denied. Nevertheless, your will be done, he said. Our Savior knows what it's like to have the Father deny a request. But did he deny his love for him? No. He still loved him. And he loved us too. And Jesus knew, right? He volunteered to die for us. And the whole reason we can come to God as Father is because God the Son accepted a no to his prayer. And he went to the cross for us. But you can't trust God to keep you safe, but you can trust him to keep you. In that same vein, Jesus closes this teaching, confirming God's fatherly love for us. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Right? If we, as imperfect parents, don't torture our children like that, right? why would we think that our perfect and good Father would give us harmful things when we ask for good things? Right? Or give us harmful things when we ask for harmful things? Right? God gives good gifts. Every good and perfect gift is from him, Scripture says. Right? Can you find goodness in the world, in your life? The Bible says that's a gift from God to you. You can thank him. Right, But pay attention to this part of the passage because it reveals the purpose of the whole teaching. If you who are evil give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts? No, that's not what he says. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Right, so you have God in front of you. You can ask him for whatever you want. What runs through your mind? Right, I have a a long list. I have a long list of ideas that I could ask him for. But anywhere on the list, did his very spirit show up? Did it make the list? Right? Maybe not, because I didn't think I could ask for that. Right? God, give me your very self right, to dwell in me, with me, 24-7, to comfort me, to guide me in the truth, to seal me for redemption, to transform my heart of stone to a heart of flesh, to finish the good work that you began in me, to pray for me when I don't know what to pray for, to guard me. And warn me when I encounter lies against you. To give me unique gifts that allow me to serve and build up the church. To bond me to other believers. Your spirit that allows me to cry, Abba, Father. And Abba is just an Aramaic word for dad. The informal address, right? Those are all examples straight from the Bible of what the Holy Spirit does. Right? We didn't know the Holy Spirit was on the table Right? We didn't know he was on the list of things we could ask for. Even Solomon, when, when told he could have anything from God, he asked for wisdom when God would grant him whatever he'd desire. Right? Jesus here is telling us we can have the Spirit of God. Do you know how many folks of all kinds of religions are out there chasing after getting the Spirit of God? wrestling to experience the divine within the spirit of the living God, God himself with us. And the father will give him to you if you ask. So how can I encourage you today? I can't tell you not to worry about your struggle and that God has something better for you in the near future, right? I can't tell you that just the simple line that God works all things for good without finishing the rest of that verse, right? I can't tell you, just wait, your blessing is around the corner. I can't say that to you. As much as I would like to say that to people in times of need, I can't, right? God might be doing that, and you might look back one day, and I have and seen that that's what he's done, but I am in no position to declare that in your life, you know, sometimes we come at people with this kind of positivity, right? And, and Dr. Susan David, the person I quoted about her dad, she calls it toxic positivity. And she'll say, it's because we're prioritizing our comfort over other people's pain. But right? it's hard to sit with people in pain and have no immediate answer, right? We feel powerless, so we start to say things. Things that maybe we don't have the authority to back up. Right? But in reality, our very presence might just be the best gift that we can give. right? That's what God has given us during this painful in-between time. Jesus has promised the presence of God. He promised the presence of the Holy Spirit to be with those who believe in him. So what should we do if we've been praying and we're not seeing God act and and we've gone through the list and we can't point out anything that would be hindering our prayers to him? Should we stop believing in him? Should we question his love for us? I just challenge you to fall back on his character as a good father. One we can trust, right? on what he's already done for us by sending his son, by freely giving his spirit to rest in his goodness and to trust that if you believe in him, you will have an answer. Right? We might think that we send these prayers up to God and they just evaporate into nothing or get shoved into an old filing cabinet or discarded. Right? In Revelation 4, Through five, there's a picture of the return of Christ. The risen Jesus opens a scroll containing God's plan to deliver his people and to destroy his enemies. And there are these angels and they're holding golden bowls full of incense. And do you know what the Apostle John says those are? He said those are the prayers of the saints. The prayers of believers. The prayers of you and me. Psalm 56.8 says, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? You will be answered when you see him face to face and you will be consoled for the losses that you've experienced, for the pain that never got taken away, for the provision that never showed up. And today we just we don't know why. And I can't solve that dissonance for me or for you right we we live with it and it's okay to struggle with that right and 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 for the church it's okay to let people struggle with that and not come running with band-aids right god gives his people his presence we can try imitating him in that way At the church we are a forward-looking people right? We need to be a patient people. God makes us wait, right? But Jesus came, right? He really came, and we base our faith off of him and his love for us, and so let's prepare our hearts when we come to him, asking him to align our will with his, right? Let's persistently seek the one who wants to be found, Let's keep knocking on the door of the one who already has his hand on the knob waiting for us. He will open the door. God's greatest gift is himself. Above you, for you, within you. And and I'm sorry if you have unanswered prayers and that's not what you were hoping for today. But if that's us, may God grant it to us to hope for more. Because he's promised us more.